Nuga back to McCabe. Long three for George. McCabe is good. McCabe shooting it extremely well this year. Rebels back out in front by 5, 25-20. Jordan McCabe inbounds, gets it back from Ham, and knocks down a corner three. And the Rebels up 42-31. They get the first bucket of the half. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Greeny and Tyler Bischoff. Be part of the conversation on the Finley Kia text line at 69187. Finley Kia, come see a Kia on West Sahara. Joining us now, point guard for the Running Rebels, is Jordan McCabe. Uh, good morning, Jordan. Have you played uh, back-to-back games that end, end after midnight before? Huh. No, I, I actually don't think I have. It's um, it's an adjustment for the West Coast. I don't uh, I don't get the text from the family and stuff until the morning because they stay up <laughs> as long as they can, and then they text me in the morning. So wait, yeah, it's an uh, adjustment. Wait, did they did they fall asleep watching it last night? No, no, okay. tough to fall asleep. Tough to fall asleep on that one. Uh, but but yeah, even even the grandparents stayed up. Uh, she, my grandma texted me in the morning after. She's like, "That's the latest I've been up in in years." So uh, she said, "You kept me up, but I have fun doing it." All right, so help us out here. You guys play Michigan and Wichita State. You guys play with both of them, basically, you know, prove you guys belong on the same court, but you end up losing both games. You don't actually walk away with a win in either one of them. What is, I guess, just the – how is your team handling that, you know, last two games of looking well, maybe passing the eye test, but not actually having a win? Yeah, you know, I think think there's a lot of programs um, around the country that would be – satisfied or happy, um, you know, and have that like moral victory feeling coach Kruger says the best. We don't, we don't do those around here. So, um, it's, it, it still stings right now. Uh, it stung last night. Um, losing a game like that is, uh, is difficult, you know, and, you know, we don't want the narrative to be like, Oh, you know, the, the rebels can, can play with Michigan. They can play with top 25s and top 10s and top five teams in the country. It's like, you know, the Rebels are dangerous enough to beat a top five team in the country, uh, and they've proved it and they've done it. So we need we need a staple win like that, and we know we do. Um, we didn't, you know, we didn't all come here, and Coach Kruger didn't put this team together in a in a rebuilding manner. As you can look out there, we're not super young. We're guys who are hungry. We're guys who are older, and we're guys who who know we can already compete at this level. We want to win. Yeah, and I want to ask you about last night. I mean, there are calls down the stretch people have issues with. Um, uh, no matter what, though, up 11 in the second half, what does that teach you guys? That At some point you have to find a way to close that out, and what, how will that help you down the stretch? Yeah, that's, that's the biggest thing is, is no game comes down to any one particular call. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll go back and watch the film. There's There's got to be stretches where we – uh, you know, make decisions that don't allow us to put teams away. Um, I think that's been a, a conversation we've kind of tried to have throughout the first three games. Uh, we were, you know, fortunate enough to come out on the on the you know upper side of the first three, uh, but against the the top twenty five teams and you know those quad one teams, generally that you know just doesn't happen, especially with the experienced teams that we just played the last two games. Um, so we'll go back and figure it out, uh, you know, down the stretch. Uh, it is what it is. That's basketball. Uh, last night, I heard you reference Ken Palm in the press conference. You're talking about quad one opponents here. How much just five games into the season are you sort of paying attention to your team's resume or resume type or building wins that you guys could pick up here in the near future? 
Uh, definitely paying attention to it. I mean, we need to go out and win a few games here early on um, that people don't expect us to win. Uh, that we're that you know those are going to be the ones that we can hang our hat on. You know, after we get through a tough Mountain West schedule, however that shakes out. Obviously, we plan on being at the top of there, which nobody thinks we will either. Um, but yeah, we're we're conscious of it because we understand that this isn't you know by we I mean uh, especially the four guys coming from the Big Twelve where you got eight teams you know in in that league possibly going to the NCAA tournament every single year. This is just a different story right now. We have to we have to find a way to uh, to just get in, and then once you're in there, uh, anything can happen, and we understand that part of it. So. Uh, yeah, we're we're looking at teams that we can uh, we can call staple wins for sure. Uh, I've got to ask you uh, some crazy questions here as well because we talked earlier this year about uh, your social media presence <laughs> for the column uh, NILs. When you get into the season with the NIL, I'm interested about this. Before the season, it's one thing where kids are kind of looking for NIL. Um, you know, uh, outlets. But when you get into the season now, is that still the case? Or is it like, you know what, you're in the season now. If it comes at you, it comes at you, but you got to worry about basketball. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I can't remember I can't remember Michael Jordan's quote about uh, endorsement stuff. And uh, I think it was something like, if I was averaging two points and two rebounds, you know, I wouldn't have a shoe deal or I wouldn't have this and that. Uh, on a much smaller scale, obviously, for me as a college athlete, it, it doesn't matter that much. And that's the reason I don't represent myself in that space at all. So if companies do reach out, they don't reach out to me. They reach out to uh, my management company who, who handles all of it and filters through. And, you know, if there's a point where I'm just like, hey, I don't want to deal with it, um, you know, tell them we'll, we'll call back in August or we'll call back in July or whatever, uh, then that's the case. Yeah, it's not a, it's not a distraction, that's, that's for sure. I mean, I'm always doing doing more than one thing anyways. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of that. Uh, the UNLV running rebels, TikTok account. Uh, it's been pretty popular. I got to ask which of your teammates do you think has been the star of it? Oh, who's been the star of it? Oh, I, I think the, I think the, that pineapple is the star of it so far. <laughs> putting that thing in the box. Uh, they, you know, our, our media team does a really good job. And, and what I, what I do appreciate about the program is that coach Kruger, you know, he, he's not only okay with that, but enjoys part of it where we do have fun. Like, it can't be all serious all the time. I've never been a part of a really good team that's like that, ever, my whole life. I think Belichick's the only person who's got that figured out because they don't mess around at all. Uh, <laughs> they don't do a ton of TikToking up there in Boston. But, you know, we, we, we enjoy ourselves, and, uh, and uh, I think that's important for, for us as a team and the culture we have. All right, there is one of the TikToks you guys posted was the intuition challenge where you're supposed to close your eyes and try to clap with the person next to you at the same time. Um, What's up with Keyshawn Gilbert? Why can't he do this? I just, he's the young one, you know, so it's easy to blame. (laughs) It's easy easy to blame everything on him. He's also my roommate, so I also kind of give him some flack anytime I can. Uh, But, no, that was uh, all in good fun for sure. Are you shocked how similar Coach Huggins is to Coach Kruger? (laughs) <laughs> oh man that's a long uh, pause that's what you you paused a long time there hold on a second yeah i was uh i was just smiling because i got uh i got nothing but respect for both of them um you know 
very, very different. I don't think either of them would try to compare themselves to each other. <laughs> I don't think. Uh, I don't think. That, I think there's the same thing with uh, Coach Lon Kruger as well. There's no comparison there, but they're both. Uh, um, you know, Coach Lon and Coach Huggins are going to be. I mean, they're Hall of Fame coaches. Coach Kruger, I mean, doing a doing a great job here early on with this program, and I, you know, couldn't be more happy with my decision to come play for him. Uh, give us an explanation here. It might be a simple one, but uh, you had the behind the back pass to Royce Ham, and then the uh, pass down court to Donovan Williams, and we saw—is it a goggles celebration? What's the celebration you guys had there after those? Yeah, I think that's uh, more the bench. I think somebody did that. One of my teammates did that. I think it was maybe Marvin or somebody like that did it. Uh, actually, Tyrese Halliburton, I grew up playing with him, and now obviously he's on the Kings and a hell of an NBA player. I think I might have stole that one from him. So if I did, <laughs> I, I apologize for my lack of creativity. But that was that. Uh, and then can you confirm something since you are his roommate? Bryce Hamilton told us before the year, Keyshawn Gilbert is the funniest player on the team. Is that true? Yeah, probably unintentionally, too. I don't think he even realized it. But Keyshawn, Keyshawn's hilarious. He's he's so fun to be around. He's got a – I can't remember what Coach Kruger said last night in the press conference, but there's this uh, – there's this young innocence about him that that's so fun to just kind of be around. How shocked were you on your fifth foul? Uh, pretty shocked. You know, going down the stretch, yeah, I get it. It's not being a ref's not an easy job. Um, you know, it, he thought I put two hands on him, and yeah, I, to be honest, I probably did. I mean, it was physical down the stretch. You know, both ends. I have to be more aware of the fact that I got four fouls at that time. But uh, I guess I just. I didn't see them making that one, and uh, and they did. And you know, like I said, it's basketball. Things like that happen. Did Etn push you into the screen though? Yeah, he's a smart player. I would have done the same thing <laughs> if he was guarding me. Uh, you know, I've I've played against him before. Uh, you know, and uh, I I knew he was gonna he was gonna make some chess moves at the end and hit some big shots, and that's what unfortunately he did. Um, you know, I told him after the game in the tunnel. Uh, he's a hell of a player, and you know sometimes you got to tip your hat. Full disclosure here: the family is huge Tyler Hero fans. Uh, <laughs> do you still text and give him a hard time? And could you at this point beat him in any kind of shooting contest? Ooh, could I beat him in any kind of shooting contest? The last time we did a shooting contest was before he was in the league. I believe it was before we went off to school, um, and I, I think I did. I think I did get him down in Milwaukee. Uh, but the way he's shooting it right now, man, it uh, it'd be pretty tough. Tyler Tyler's one of the hardest workers I've ever met, um, and I consider myself pretty high in that uh, in that category as well. Um, it, it's it's so fun to watch him and Tyrese and uh, Jordan Poole, different Wisconsin guys, uh, really put put the state on the map at the highest level. They're uh, they're so fun to watch. By the way, you guys made all your free throws last night. You guys have shot from three a lot better the last two games. Uh, you guys like shooting at T-Mobile better than Thomas and Mac? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think it's the venue. Um, uh, you know, I don't. I don't think that's the case. I think we had a. Uh, I think we had a conversation after Michigan, and we all bought into the fact. And Coach Kruger said, "Hey, I've never said anything about a single shot you guys take, um, but if we want to compete with the best teams in the country." We have to work work for great ones. So toe on the line, like step, you know, right into the three point shot, feet set, um, making it easy for other people driving and kicking. Um, and I think you saw that like culminate, you know, through the through the Wichita game. And 
that's what will carry over against Whittier here on uh, Wednesday. I am sort of interested in the fact, and I talked to him last week, where at least the first three or four games, Kevin didn't really have a lot to say to refs, um, but he did say people think he's even keeled. He doesn't know where that gets from because when he gets to the locker room, he can get after it. Uh, is that true? We saw him last night obviously disagree with some things, but how has he kind of played out as a coach so far in a really small kind of level of evidence here in terms of you know kind of really getting into you guys? Uh, coach Kruger is a competitor. Um, you know, I think people probably pull that even keelness uh, trait, assuming it's going to directly carry over uh, from his from his father, who I at least from what I know um, barely even raised his voice. I mean, that was his identity in terms of how he got things done. Um, coach uh, Coach Kevin Kruger, a little bit different in that in that regard. Um, but he does it in such a like passionate way where it never feels like he's attacking anybody. Um, he, he wants there to be energy. He wants there to be life. Uh, we have to be, you know, that team in the country in order to compete. Uh, we want to be, uh, known around the country as, as a Wichita state ish team. Like when you go out and play the shockers, you know, you're going to get a 40 minute dog fight. Um, and, and that's what we want to do. And he brings that same type of energy through practice in the locker room uh, and onto the court as well. I think you'll see more and more of that as the season goes on. Well, he is Jordan McKay, point guard with the Running Rebels. Jordan, we appreciate your time Thanks, this Jordan. morning. Thank you, guys. So there is Jordan uh, McKay. We, need, we just need to like schedule one of those guys a week because they have become some of our best interviews okay. by far. I Again, we've they've finally lost a couple of games now, so I think I can say this with for 100% fact. This is far and away the best like team as far as talking to the media oh. personality wise that UNLV's had since I've been here. Like, and I don't think it's remotely close. Like, in terms of good, like good talkers, players that are good at yes. talking to the media, players that'll show you some personality, yes. players that'll give you good good answers about basketball or just fun answers. Period. Like Jordan McCabe has been excellent. Royce Ham has been excellent. He was excellent. Donovan Williams. We've only yeah. talked to him like Thank once or twice so this year. Yeah. But he's been excellent. They're terrific. Like Marvin Coleman, we've only talked to him maybe once this year, but he's been very yeah. good in the past. We know he's good. Like Michael Nuga, almost forgot about him. Like they've got five guys that are legitimately like, yeah, you want to talk to that one. Where normally, like there have been years, the year that uh, Noah Robotham was here for UNLV, Noah Robotham was the only player yes. on that team he wanted to talk to. No, I've maybe Jovan Mori. I've lost track because the dates kind of run together. I was basing on how old my daughter was when we got here. So maybe it's like 15 years. Uh, and obviously back back then there was no pro teams here. So UNLV was the pro team. So was at every game, football and basketball. And I'm sorry, it's not even close. No. This is the best team by yeah. far. By it's, far. It's unbelievable how, like, it, legitimately, there's at least five guys on this team that I'm like, yeah, that, that, that guy would actually be a good yes. conversation to have. Not to like make any unfair comparison, but is there an element to the fact that, I mean, yes, Otzelberger was young, but Kruger is really young. Where he's just like, yeah, why wouldn't you be yourself? Well, I think it's <laughs> I think it's more of the players he brought in, like because okay. they've got one freshman on the team. Like Jordan McCabe's probably been talking to the media for how long was he at West Virginia? Three years, four mm -hmm. years, whatever it is. Royce Ham, same thing at Texas. Like I, I think a lot of it is just. These are guys that have been playing college basketball for a long time and have been doing this. Now, They've been around media. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's probably more or less what it is. So it's, but it's 
from our standpoint. It's very oh, nice. Yeah, this is, this Give is us great, a guy man. every week. They're, they're absolutely terrific, that team, in talking. All right, coming up next, show's a little bit out of order today, but we'll get to the front page. In the morning, when you want the news, you need the front page every hour on the press box. Nothing's writing on this except the uh, First Amendment, the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. Not that any of that matters. And now, the news. The Vikings beat the Packers 34-31 yesterday, and I simply have one question. Matt LaFleur could have taken his final timeout with roughly 30 seconds left. Could have given Aaron Rodgers 25 seconds to, you know, complete a pass, get out of bounds, maybe complete another one or just throw a Hail Mary. They could have had a chance to get yeah. in the field goal range. But instead, he let the he let the Vikings run the clock all the way down to two seconds, and then he used that timeout to ice the kicker. What the hell is Matt LaFleur doing? I think that was a couple of the comments in the press box, but maybe stronger words than hell because we were watching it in the press box and you have one of the greatest quarterbacks ever. And even 30 seconds, like you said, you could, you know, you, hey, you don't know what you're, you're going to get uh, on any kind. If he makes the field goal on any kind of kickoff, uh, who knows what you're going to, I have no idea. We I, were, we were looking at the, yeah. we were looking at the TV the whole time saying he's going to call a timeout, right? He's going to call a timeout. But he never did. Again, two completions. Uh, granted, you got to get out of bounds on the first yeah, one, but, but two completions. Rogers? Yes. Hell, pass interference. Like, that's one of the best ways to get the ball down the field. Like, I was stunned that Matt LaFleur decided his timeout was more valuable to ice the kicker than it was to give Aaron Rodgers a chance to complete two passes. As he was walking off the field, it appears Aaron Rodgers agreed with us. Unbelievable. Because his face was, you didn't even give me a chance. Aaron Rodgers should have run on the field and called the timeout. Like, that would have been actually. <laughs> get out of here. Well, he runs the team anyway. Get the hell out like, of here. I, I could, of all the decisions that we yell about coaches making, that is that is yeah. one of the worst. Because that's not even like, oh, you're an old school thinker and you just a, don't go for it on fourth down. You're going to kick the field right. goal in the five-yard line when you're playing San Diego State. Right, that, which is, we see coaches do that all the time. The last, I can't remember the last time I saw a coach who threw away 30 seconds because he wanted to ice the kicker. Next question. The Texans beat the Titans, and the Colts beat the Bills. Beat the heck beat out the of them. Beat the heck, off beat the, the brakes off them. Does this entire conference suck? We have spent like eight weeks being like, who's good in this conference? Cincinnati's good in this conference. <laughs> hey, they won their elimination we game. Saw, we saw that elimination game yesterday, and they won it easily by 19. Like, how far away from you are you from saying the Kansas City Chiefs are the best team in the AFC? How far away? I might say it now. You might say they it now? Okay. Down. Well, all of a sudden, they're actually defending, which is amazing because four weeks ago, like, this team can't win the Super Bowl. They're atrocious defensively. <laughs> now they're, like, defending people. So you're looking at the Bills are 6-4, and four, right? That was like everyone's like, oh, the Bills are probably the best team. They're not even first place in their division. Kansas City is, you know, resuscitated itself. They're now 7-4 and four leading the division. The Ravens are seven and three, right? The Titans are eight and three, but they just, you know, got embarrassed to the Houston Texans of all teams that you're going to lose to. Like I listen, we, we started this show talking about how bad it is for the Raiders. They're five and five. And I'm not convinced there's any team in this division or this conference that's significantly better than them. Well, that's even if you just go with the AFC West, it's confusing. It is like, I think yeah. the Chargers are better. I think the Chiefs are better. But if you told me the Raiders beat those two teams in their second meetings, okay. 
Next question. LeBron James was ejected from a game in Detroit, Man. as was Isaiah Stewart. Uh, so, all right, best explanation. If you haven't seen the video, Isaiah Stewart and LeBron James are uh, boxing each other out on a free throw, on the free throw line, and they're, they're, you know, their arms are like interlocked, whatever. And then all of a sudden, LeBron James's fist goes flying into Isaiah Stewart's face. Was it intentional? Ah. Was it just, hey, his arm got unclenched from Isaiah Stewart's and he sort of lost control of it? Eh, to be determined. But Stewart ended up bleeding from his eye <laughs> and his mouth and tried to go through the entire, yes. his own team and the entire Laker team. To, Several times, by the way. To fight LeBron James. <laughs> Several the, times. The best part was that he tried to do it once. He got restrained by his teammates and coaches. He convinced them, I'm, I'm good, okay. guys. Yeah. I'm going to walk away. And then, he running and then spun around yeah. to go after LeBron again. And then eventually they got him down the tunnel. And he's like, all right, I'm good. I'm going down the tunnel. And then he sprinted down the tunnel like he was going to find somebody off court. This is, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of um, uh, what the thoughts were running. Because it was in Detroit. What thoughts were running through people's heads? Like, oh, not again. Like the people with the security looking in the stands and no, don't throw anything. We're fine. He'll be okay. My Do you think it was a cheap shot? I they're the 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 arms are interlocked. Yeah. And he's coming off him. I you know, I asked uh, uh Sam Gordon we're gonna have at nine thirty, thought it was a cheap shot. Uh, asked my son who watched it, who's a Laker fan and loves the loves LeBron James, calls him the king, said it was a cheap shot. I don't. I, I think when a guy bleeds that much, you might go towards that sign. But then when I watch the clip you put up there, the arms are interlocked. They're going down the court. I, I don't know. I don't know if you can. I don't know if you can for sure say he meant to do it. I think LeBron James could have stopped his hand from hitting him in the face, but chose not to. Like I don't think LeBron intentionally said, "I'm going to punch Isaiah Stewart in the face." LeBron James is smarter than that. He knows he's not going to get... There's no benefit to punching Isaiah Stewart in the face. Even if the Pistons lose Isaiah Stewart, congratulations. But, like, right. I think they got locked up. Somehow their arms came unclenched from each other. His arms started to fly at Isaiah Stewart's face. And I bet if LeBron wanted to, he could have stopped his hand from hitting him. But I think he said, yeah, whatever. I'll hit him. And then well, nothing's going to happen out of it. And he hit him in the face and caused him to bleed from his eye. And then it set off... Well, it could have been a lot worse if it had happened. Like, what was it? Malice in the Palace was 2004? Something like yeah. that? Listen, somebody throws a cup at Russell Westbrook like they threw at Ron Artest, and we could have had the same exact incident again. Okay, but uh, the Malice of the Palace is just one of those moments in history that I go back to to think about because of how comical it was. Because, A, the guy who threw it didn't ever actually get hit. No, Ron Artest <laughs> punched the wrong guy. Yeah, And then afterwards... After all the violence, he looks over and he goes, do you think we're going to get suspended? <laughs> Jermaine O'Neal decked a guy that walked out onto the court. And you know, we almost had that again with the Lakers and Pistons. Last night. By the way, Lakers came back to win. That's they were down the other thing. They were down the like 12, 13 points and they came all the way back. I'm you got to get rid of a Nine guy. and nine now. I'm so excited for this to be like the turning point of the Lakers season. They go on like a 10-game winning streak here. They start. All they needed was LeBron punching someone <laughs> in the head. Jump up into like first in the West or something. And you're like, well, as soon as Isaiah Stewart came for us, it really brought us together as a team. It was a real punch to the face. <laughs> wow. Sorry. Um, I got you. Thank you. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Ohio State beat Michigan 56 to 7. Mel Tucker. 
He's, did he sign that 10-year deal yet? He better have. Boy, his eight, when it was four, I think it was 42-0 at the half, his agent was probably on the phone with the AD saying, look, uh, we've got a lot of stuff with Thanksgiving. The holidays are coming up. Let's, get Can we, let's just get this done. Let's get the 10 years for $95 million done now because it's Thanksgiving on Thursday. we got to get this done. It's four, I think 42-0 at half. I'm almost sure of that. Just run out of the building. That was ridiculous. They were on. They were on pace to get to ninety-five yeah. at one point. Like the ninety-five million Mel Tucker was supposed to get paid. That's how much Ohio <laughs> State was going to hang on him and say, "Congratulations, ten years, ninety-five million. Here's ninety-five points." Coming up next, JBT joins the show as we get into some NBA. What did the official say that you were assessed a technical for? Who got a tech? You did. You did. I got a tech. Oh wow! Why'd I get a tech? I didn't know I had a tech. Maybe <laughs> the escalate. Wow. That's interesting. Well, you know, this is being Russell, I guess. When you Russell Westbrook, they just try to do anything, apparently. But whatever. I don't know why I got to, I don't know what I did, but whatever. They had to put it on somebody. Why not me? Russ, have you been able to talk to LeBron um, since, since the game ended or, or him, what was his reaction to the win? No, I haven't. I'm still trying to figure out how the hell I got a tech. It's crazy. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Joining us now is John Von Tobel. All right. Uh, how'd Russell Westbrook get a tech? I, I don't know. Like, I was rewatching every game. Like, he did come in, like, in the big clip that everybody's seen, like, 90 seconds in, and, like, he looked like he was saying something to Isaiah Stewart. But like after that, like most of the clip is just Isaiah Stewart playing football with his own like <laughs> his own staff and like <laughs> climbing through bodies. So, uh, look, I think maybe it's because it was the situation; it was already at, at its height, and he came in and tried to do something. Who knows at the NBA at this point? Maybe because it's just Russ, like he said. All right, so they look to get locked up. Um, your final take on this could was it just a situation where they got locked up and his hand came across, or did he say, you know what, I might take a shot here? Oh, I think he definitely, like, I think like, both of those situations can be right, right? Like, I think LeBron was frustrated. He took a shot. I don't know if he meant to hit him in the face and draw blood, but I think he definitely was irritated with the way the game was going. He kind of lashed out a little bit, and the result just wasn't something that he expected, which was busting open Isaiah Stewart's eye, and then, of course, all of that going forward. So I think it was like a mix of everything. I think, I don't know how you can't watch that clip and watch LeBron clearly irritated rear back and, like, smack back at him. It's like he's clearly irritated. Like it's the Pistons, and you're losing at that point to the Detroit Pistons by 12 points. He's going to be irritated. So I think both things are right. Like LeBron, did he mean to bust his eye open? No, but was he irritated and took took a smack at him? Absolutely. Do you think he gets suspended? LeBron? Yeah. Oh, come on, it's the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, maybe I I would say like you got to give him one game, right? Like just given the clip that's out there. And if you're the NBA, I mean, like, you're sitting around, you're going, like, all right, man, like, this is something. You have to do something. And, like, I was even looking at the schedule. Like, their next game, it's an Eastern Conference matchup against the Pacers, so it's not like it's the most, you know, uh, important game for them, right, an East Coast trip. So I would say at least one game for LeBron. Even him. Yeah, right? I mean, I think so. I, I just feel like you want to deal with the optics of not suspending him after all of that, right? Like, it's it would just be easier. It's the day before Thanksgiving. Just suspend him. Then you're going to get two days of no LeBron. This will die down, and then they come back into action Friday or Saturday, and everything's fine. So 
I would think one game would be enough, but who knows? It's his league, and maybe he calls Adam Silver and is like, come on, bro, it's, it's me, and he doesn't get anything, and Isaiah Stewart gets like six games. <laughs> and Russ gets four. <laughs> uh, all right. Are the Lakers bad? Oh, you cut out. Are the who bad? Are the Lakers bad? Uh, no. Like, they're not good, but they're not bad. Like, they're going to be just like they were last year. They're going to be a play-in team. Uh, but then they're going to get eliminated in like a second round by a better team like the Golden State Warriors or a Denver Nuggets if they're healthy or a Clippers team if they're healthy. Like, I, you know, when I came out with you guys before the season started, you know, I told you, like, one of the things that the Lakers did was they had to sacrifice a whole bunch of their defensive talent to get a bunch of offensive pieces that work and fit with that weird, funky lineup that they're going to roll out there. And so far, that's been the case, right, with what they've thrown out there from a defensive standpoint right now. You know, they're in the bottom half of the league in terms of defensive efficiency. Cleaning the glass right now has them at about, I think, like 15th or so in defensive efficiency. And they've been slightly better here and there, but this is a team that's got a lot of flaws on that end of the floor. Their half-court defense is on the lower end. Uh, of Actually, I was giving them too much credit. They're 23rd defensive efficiency. So, uh, yeah, they, they're a playoff team in the Western Conference, like that 6-7-8 range, but I, I don't think they're a threat in any way whatsoever to win an NBA title the way they're currently constructed. All right, speaking of good, Draymond Green and the Warriors. Draymond Green says he's rediscovered his love of the game and he wants to be Defensive Player of the Year again. Is that possible, and has he rediscovered his love, and how good are they? Oh, dude, yeah. Well, one, I think it is possible. I, so Steve Copeland and I argue all the time. For some reason, he just dislikes Draymond Green, <laughs> uh, I guess as a person. Uh, but he fails, you know, he fails to realize how good he is on the defensive end. Even before this year, he's been absolutely incredible for what they did. You know, a lot of people don't realize that last year, this Warriors team was actually fifth in defensive efficiency. Like, this was still a really good defensive team. All those championship teams, right, those were actually top five defensive units. Defense has been in the DNA of the Golden State Warriors for a really long time. It's just now much more hyper-analyzed because offensively they're so limited in the minutes without Steph Curry that we realize how good they are on the defensive end of the floor. But this year, it's on a whole other level. They're, they're leading defensive efficiency by about 1.6 points per 100 possessions over the Los Angeles Clippers. Like They're legitimately good. And Draymond Green's smack in the middle of that in terms of what he's able to do. You know, We all know his profile. He's switchable. He can defend all five positions. He commands the offense well, runs it uh, almost as much as Steph Curry does. Curry spends almost more time off the ball, it seems. Uh, with Draymond on the floor out there. But regardless, like I think he is perfectly capable of being a defensive player of the year. He's the best defender on the best defensive team in the NBA at this point right now. And, yes, they're a championship contender. Like, I thought they were going to be a slow burner, right? Like, you know, like piddle around 500, get Clay Thompson back at the end of December, and then make your push post-All-Star break. But that is not the case. And Clay Thompson's the cherry on top because then you push, you know, whoever in that rotation, whether it's Andrew Wiggins or, you know, Otto Porter Jr. back to the bench. The bench gets deeper and better offensively. Yeah, this, this team's absolutely right now the best team in the Western Conference, and they are 100% a championship contender. What is your expectation for Klay Thompson? Do you think he comes back and it's just immediately the Warriors are just over the top overwhelming the league again, or, or how long does it take for Klay Thompson to actually be back and contributing in a significant way? I, you know, I think, so, like, there's, there's different ways to look at it, right, Tyler? Like, I think when the way he plays, you could theoretically see him come out right away and just kind of just be like an off-ball jump shooter type, right? And if his stroke is still there, like he's going to be extremely efficient. And then once he starts to get more comfortable on his feet, then the defensive Clay Thompson comes back. Then the Clay Thompson, who's moving off the ball and is an absolute nightmare, just like Steph Curry is, starts to come back. So like if he comes back in the first month and is just like an off-ball spot-up shooter who hangs out in the corner for a little bit, like he's still going to be plenty deadly. And like, and you got to respect him, and that opens up the floor so much more for every single other warrior that's going to be out there. So I think there's a chance that he's going to be like really effective when he comes back. But I think like if we're talking like Clay Thompson, height of his powers, who can defend almost every single one of the opposition's best players, 
you know, I think that's probably going to take a month or two because he, again, too, like we always talk about forgetting things, forget how good this guy was at the height of his powers on the defensive end of the floor. So I think if we're talking full powers, like obviously it's going to take a month or two, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Clay Thompson have an immediate impact once he comes out just because of his skill set. I think I know which way you'll go with this, but who are you more surprised at, the Bulls or the Wizards? Ooh, it's got to be the Wizards, right? right? Like because like the Bulls, like you kind of saw it to a certain extent. Like the public loved them. Like you know, their win total was sitting around like forty-two and a half. You know, you had really good role players. Lonzo Ball's really underrated as a defender and just a player overall. His shooting has gotten better every single year. Nikola Vucevic is a good high-end offensive player, right? Demar Derozan has his high end on offense too. So you kind of saw them being like an effective team. But like the Wizards, you know, this is a team, and they're slowly starting to slide. And actually, I've been kind of uh, taking my shots against the Wizards in the betting market last couple of games because I think they're fraudulent in the sense that, like, they're not like a top-three team, right, in the Eastern Conference. But they, what they did, which was so smart, was you got rid of Russell Westbrook, but it's not getting rid of Russ. It's <laughs> getting, like, four B-level players to take his spot. Like, that's that's really good baseline of play that you're getting from a lot of those guys that you got in that deal. And so I think that's what's been so surprising is how effective they've been defensively. But this is one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the league, guys. It has is, it is caught up with them many times the last couple of games. Charlotte Hornets, uh, really, really exposed their rim defense, which is one of the worst in the NBA. So they've got some uh, room to fall down the standings, but I think I've been pretty surprised about this start, no doubt. Zion Williamson played 61 games last year. Will that end up being his career high? Yeah, I say, dude, it's got to be. I think so. Like, it's just, and it sucks to say it, but like the track record at this point right now, the way that we know he has taken care of his body, which has not been very well in these off-seasons, right? Uh, like, and a big guy who's explosive as he is with foot injuries, like, it's just not something that is tenable for a guy of his stature and his build. So I would say yes. Like, that seems to be the case. And who knows? You know, maybe he gets healthy, he comes back this year. It looks like they're going to move on from David Griffin at some point. Their general manager it seems to be a nightmare there. Three coaches in three years. He's getting a fight with Alvin Gentry in the tunnels at Sacramento a couple of weeks ago. Uh, like, it seems to be a nightmare there. So maybe a new front office is like, no, like, no more kid gloves. Like, you, if you're healthy, you're playing all these games. But I just think from what we've seen from him, from a health standpoint, the way he's taking care of his body, unless he's going to make some drastic change in the way that he manages things, I just don't see why that you're going to count on him to play like 62, 63, 70 games a year. I know you liked these guys last year. They're kind of middling around the four spot. If for whatever reason Kawhi Leonard came back and was good, could they make a run? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like they, So this is one of the things, and I'm a Clippers fan, so you know, I'll be fair, I'll put that out there, full disclosure. Uh, but like they're they're seventh in net rating right now. Like they're actually outscoring opponents by three point eight points per one hundred possessions. You know, I mentioned the defensive efficiency rating and passing really quickly. You know, their defensive rating, they're second right now in defensive rating. They're one point six points worse than the Golden State Warriors right now. And keep in mind, they're doing all this positive stuff uh, without a good chunk of their offense. It's not just Kawhi Leonard, right? Nick Batum was just added to the, the COVID list, but he's been in and out of the lineup. Marcus Morris hasn't played at all for them at this point this year, right? Like, they have actually been missing key role players. Terrence Mann has been in and out of the lineup with injury, right? So, like, this has been a team that has a mere coffee in their starting lineup for the last, like, three games. <laughs> so, a Brandon Boston Jr. has been playing big minutes for them. So, like, this is a team that has been uh, statistically very positive and yet still has been extremely thin missing key role players. So I would say yes. Like, once that health starts to come around, I would watch out for the Clippers. Yeah, I thought that you mentioned it. I thought they were the best team in the Western Conference last year when they are at the height of their powers. And if Kawhi Leonard decides to come back near the end of the year, that I, the Warriors are obviously a really good surprise, but they're right up there with Golden State if they're fully healthy. All right. How are you feeling about Jonathan Taylor and the Colts? Dude, they're freaking awesome. Like, <laughs> they're, so, they're so good. And here's the thing. Remember, you guys remember Andrew Lux last year. They've done this before. They were one in five 
Andrew Lux last year, they started the season one and five, and they ended up ten and six. They ended up winning a playoff game. Like and, and this year, it was all about health, right? When they started zero and three, they didn't have their full offensive line starting for the first was it four or five games of the season. Carson Wentz missed a good chunk of training camp, as we know, because he went and visited the witch doctor, just like Aaron Rodgers. It wasn't really working out well. <laughs> like it, I, as this team gets a little bit more continuity, like they're going to be a threat. Like like I made the argument the other day. Like Matt Humans, my co-host of East, and asked me, he's like, "Who's your who's your AFC rep?" And I was like, "I don't know the Bengals." And he, like, he kind of scoffed, and I go, prove me wrong. I'm like, tell me which team in the AFC is the best. Because at this point right now, would it really surprise you if the AFC championship game is Patriots and Colts? I just want you to know, Ed is fist pumping because three or four weeks ago, he gave the Bengals as the best team in the AFC. They then promptly lost their next two games. Well, did you see him yesterday? They're back, baby. They're right? back. Got to tell you, it was a bad sign. I, I, I got to be honest with you guys. If I'm over at Elysian uh, Stadium and I'm running operations, I would fire whoever made those cookies because the Bengals cookie looks so much better than the Raiders cookie. That was a sign of things to come. Well, he is John uh, Von Tobel. Uh, always happy to have him join awesome. us to break down the NBA. You can hear him uh, on the edge over on VEASAN from 1 to 2 p.m. Uh, John, we appreciate it. Thank Thanks, you very John. much. Good to talk to you guys. Awesome stuff. The cookies. Hey, what with the Bengals? Yeah, you know the cookies he's talking about, right? Sure. Yeah, the yeah. Bengals frosting outline yeah. was much better than the Raiders. A lot of pictures on those things. That, People love it's Cassie that. Soto's yes. fault. Yeah, yes. She people walks into a press box and is like, "Look at this tables. food," and then people talk about it. Yeah. Everybody else is like, "Well, I need to." Yeah, and about she puts out so many pictures. I get home, my wife's like, "Where's the cookies?" I'm like, "What am I supposed to bring these things home? I can't put these in my okay. computer bag." That was the literally like we got taught that in a like sports journalism class. Don't make a to go bag <laughs> from the media meal. Yes, that's what she. And then, and then I'm like sitting there and like getting changed. She's like, uh, "Don't worry, next week I'll send you with a box." I'm like, I'm not going with a box and bringing you cookies home. I uh, I loved one of the things I miss about Sam Boyd uh, and being able to cover the team on like a weekly basis for football is the student reporters walking out of Sam Boyd with like six things of raising canes. And it's like, you guys are just going to your car. Aren't you? Where else would they be going? Um, I don't you, have a meal plan. This is the meal. Your wife needs to ask Cassie. To yeah. bring her home. Oh, some she would. She's yeah, the one she that would. stole all the cookies from the aviators wax figure security guard. Remember that poor guy? Oh, that guy. Oh, that poor, He's not real. He's a wax poor old guy. Wax That was just sad. Figure. She's going up and just like smiling at him as she takes all the cookies. <laughs> uh. Was it her that originally did this? Because I swear, oh, yeah. I swear there was a point where Adam Hill would just tweet out pictures of gummy bears. He was that Mr. Was Gummy golden. Bear, okay. but Tyler's right. When it came to the cookies and the gentleman that was holding the tray, who didn't move very much, uh, Cassie definitely took all the cookies on that one. The Gummy Bears were year one of the Golden Knights, right. and Adam Hill was tracking their win-loss record when they had Gummy Bears oh, in the press box right. versus when they so didn't. He was doing actual bears. journalism. He wasn't just <laughs> like, ooh, cookies! He was doing one step above ooh, cookies yes. by saying, ooh, Gummy Bears, and they win when the Gummy Bears are here. Cassie he got some, pu- he just, got some publicity for that. He did, yeah. Gummy Bears were a big deal in year one. Alright, coming up next, who knows? Wait, Aztecs had great field position. The Rebels just stuffed them. Back at his 10 is Noel Williams. Here's a rise, his kick. High, end over end. And it's going to hit at the 6 and be down at the 1-yard line. Holy mackerel. You've got you've, you've to understand that anytime you have a chance to catch the ball in the air against Silva, you have to do it. He's a master at Ariza. this. Pins, Ariza pins him down at the 1-yard line. 
We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff, live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. All right. We'll wrap up the 8 o'clock hour here with a little bit of college football. First off, Utah beat Oregon 38-7. to It was 28 nothing at halftime. First question for you. Is Oregon and the rest of the Pac-12 done? They're out of the I college football done. playoff? I think they're done. They looked horrible. Yeah. Not only losing, but how they lost yeah. and how they looked. I Both think they're done. Utah and Oregon have two losses at this point. Door would still be open, technically, for a two-loss team to get into the college football playoff this year, but that's more than likely going to be like an Alabama that has two yes. losses. That if gets Alabama in. loses to Georgia in the SEC title game, Alabama's probably the yeah. two seed. Oh, I mean, if Alabama somehow loses before that and doesn't make the SEC title <laughs> game, they'll probably they'll, they'll well, get they, it. I think this is the Auburn week. Yes, so, they play Auburn this yeah, week. Um, now, maybe more importantly... Will the college football playoff committee finally move Cincinnati into the top four now that Oregon lost? Yeah. I believe on Tuesday, is that when the, I think it comes out on Tuesdays? Yes. Yeah. That Cincinnati will be number four. I think, I think they will too. I assume they will. I assume we're going to see Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State. Though there's a chance Ohio State jumps uh, Alabama. Alabama, given that they blew Michigan State out. They blew 95 out. million out. Yeah, and Alabama. Granted, Arkansas was in the top 25, but struggled a little bit with Arkansas. I think Cincinnati's fourth. If they're not, <laughs> if they're not this Cincinnati week, might as well give after off. Oregon lost 100 to nothing, then that, <laughs> then it's just not happening. It's not I, happening. Okay. All of a sudden, Notre Dame will be four. <laughs> That's exactly what I was going to say. Is suddenly Notre Dame will be four, and they're like, you know what? Actually, we're going to move Cincinnati yes. even further yes. out. Let's move Notre Dame up, who lost at home to Cincinnati, and we'll lo- move them up and put Cincinnati to seven. It was a good loss. Wait, yes. What was the, uh, where was Notre Dame ranked last week? Seventh or eighth. They're ranked so, seventh. Now, Michigan State lost. Uh, Oregon lost. Notre Dame could go to five. Notre Dame lost. could jump to five. I'm thinking because so you still have Michigan hanging out there. Maybe they yeah. should be ahead of them, right? I'm just thinking like, how does Notre Dame get into the playoff and Cincinnati? They win out. Oh, and Cincinnati. Oh, I don't know if that happens. Or I mean, if they win out, do they get in over undefeated Cincinnati? <laughs> even though they lost him on the field? <laughs> yeah. Why not? That would be classic. Uh, all right. Last thing. Dorian Thompson Robinson. Yeah, I know. Did you see? He scores a touchdown, runs over to the crowd, signs a jersey or a hat or something for a fan, and the refs throw a flag. Yeah. It's just. What? It's so stupid. It doesn't. And it. by the way, it doesn't affect the other team. Nothing they at don't all. They care. 